Hello, and welcome to McLean's on the Hill. I'm Cormac McSweeney, Parliament Hill Bureau Chief for City News and Rogers Radio. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has started a cross-country tour to reconnect with Canadians. But as the election-style circuit continues, his messaging is being derailed by an ethical controversy over his Christmas vacation. McLean senior writer Ann Kingston joins us from the road. Earlier this week, the Prime Minister gave his inner circle a facelift, making the first real cabinet shuffle over his time in government. It also signaled a big change in who will be dealing with the administration of Donald Trump. Here to weigh in is McLean's Ottawa Bureau Chief, John Geddes. Unverified reports claim Russia has been able to gather enough compromising information on U.S. President-elect Donald Trump they could blackmail him. Trump and the Kremlin deny it, but we ask, could a blackmail scenario like that happen to Canadian politicians? We speak with a university professor and former government security analyst Stephanie Carvin, who says it not only can happen, it does. And finally, is TV host and businessman Kevin O'Leary about to jump into the conservative leadership race? It sure sounds like it, and we speak with one of his key supporters, former Senator Marjorie LeBreton. For your politics, for your power, welcome to The Hill. Over the last couple of months, it seems Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is under siege. First came questions about his attendance at private fundraisers with well-heeled liberal donors. Then we heard about his Christmas vacation at the private Caribbean island getaway of the Aga Khan, both of which are raising some ethical questions. Trudeau cancelled his expected trip to Davos, Switzerland for the World Economic Forum, evidently to avoid more stories about him hanging out with the rich and powerful. Instead, he started this week a road trip, a campaign-style tour that began with stops in small city Ontario. Well, McLean's Magazine's Anne Kingston followed Trudeau around on one of the days of his road trip, and McLean's Ottawa Bureau Chief John Geddes spoke with her about how the Prime Minister performed on an outing where he clearly wanted to change the channel. And thanks for uh, coming on McLean's on the Hill. My pleasure, John. I, I read your piece uh, after you caught up with the Prime Minister in Kingston, Ontario. I'll ask you some specific questions, but generally, what was your impression? What, what did you take away from it? Oh, I took away the fact that Canadians, as um, nicely as they framed the questions, are frustrated, um, angry, upset, hurt by a number of um, issues involving the federal government, and also that our Prime Minister has figured out a very good formulaic way to answer them. Well, let me, let me deal with the last part of your answer there first, then we'll get on to the things people are hurt and upset about. What's his formula? Okay. The formula is this. I think there are five parts to it. It begins, it depends on the, the, the way the question is asked, but basically it is an acknowledgement of um, the you know, the, the questioner's passion, mm. uh, especially if the questioner was crying, which happened a few times yesterday. Oh. Um, and, there's a, and then moving on to a sort of consolidation, a recognition of the importance of the issue for him, for his government, for Canadians generally. Then, again, there's a bit of flexibility here. The next step is um, if there's been work on the file under, you know, uh, under question, he will, uh, you know, 
know, get, offer some statistics, offer some history, offer some, um, you know, sort of proof that there's movement happening, and then um, a acknowledgement. This is four parts, I guess. A, acknowledgement that there, he's very eager to. He's looking forward. Looking forward. I, you have, I think I put in quotes in the piece because he said it so often. He's looking forward to working on the issue further. Further. It is a good formula. Yes, because it doesn't really, it sort of sidesteps direct um, responsibility for the content of the question. Uh-huh. And there was one point yesterday a woman was asking about veterans' benefits. She was very, very upset when she asked the question, tearful. And and at the end of the Trudeau kind of uh, formula, she stood up and said, you didn't answer my question. And by then he was on to, on to the next question. But she was frustrated because she didn't feel that she had been heard and that she had, you know, the, the question she asked had been answered properly. And I don't want to sound like I'm cheerleading for the Prime Minister, but it is quite impressive that he's putting himself through this, isn't it? Well, there is that. And as I mentioned in the piece, I mean, the other sort of thing I should have added mm-hmm. is he's very, you know, he is optimistic. He is good at, you know, galvanizing people and finding the inspiring moment within any, you know, horrible, even the most horrible kind of scenario. Right. Um, but in, going back to your point, yes, because my now... The crowd was mixed. There were a couple of federal employees who were furious about the Phoenix pay system, for instance. Just for people who haven't heard about that, that's a problem with people either not being paid or being paid incorrectly in the federal public service been going on because of a new computer system they put in place. Thank you, yes. Yes. And they were very angry. Um, So he, you know, he doesn't know what's coming at him. And there was a, he was asked um, a question about the um, security, the safety of um, transgender women in, who are incarcerated. And he, he, in response, response was actually um he, he said, you know, this is an issue that is important to me, referring to trans rights, but he acknowledged he wasn't really up on the file and that he'd look into it. So, yeah, he is... And can I interrupt there? Didn't he basically commit to do something on that file? Like, I think he sort of took it on as a policy. No, if not if not a firm commitment, then he seemed to certainly acknowledge that he hadn't heard about it before and thanks, I'm going to look into this. Like, it was like, that uh, was, you know... That actually, I believe, he did, He did, uh, you know, sort of say that he, he wanted to know more and look into it, but that was a, re- a response to a, a young girl who asked about her sister who was um, had a disability, and the oh, sister yes. had been born in the States, and now she was living in Canada, and because of her disabilities, uh, there was a problem about her immigration status, and that was a point at which the Prime Minister said, um, I'm, I'm go- you know, we will look into it, and he acknowledged the, the local MP as well mm-hmm. as something that they would look at her her case directly, which I thought was kind of a interesting um, and bold thing to say, all things considered, right? And can I ask you a question that you probably, I can't really fairly expect you to answer, but I just want to hear your impressions anyway. <laughs> Shoot. The yes. assumption is that Trudeau and company planned this tour that he's on, and, and there'll be other legs of it apparently in other parts of the country later in the month. Um, because he was worried about how his image was being tarnished by the continuous questions about the fundraising events he's been at, and then the added question about whether he broke some rules by going for a, a Christmas holiday on an island in the Caribbean owned by the Aga Khan. Not so much going, but accepting a helicopter ride to the island, I guess, is the big problem. Do you think, if you if you put on one side of the scale those uh, issues that sort of cast him as a guy who's a bit entitled, is hobnobbing with a lot of rich people all the time, and you put on the other side of the scale these kinds of, of community events, uh, like local local town halls and small communities going to, how do you think it works? Do you think it's the kind of, of 
po politics that wins in the end? Will this end up out counterbalancing those stories? Which are like, you know, carbon offsets or something. Yes, um, that's right. He gets a certain <laughs> amount of trips to uh, Rich Islands as long as he meets the people in X number of communities under 100,000 people, something like that. Okay, yeah, not wanting to be skeptical here. That's right. actually not a bad way of looking at it. Um, so here's the thing. You know, we all know that, you know, his, Mathieu, his, his skill set is so, is, is, you know, in front of a crowd, mm. dealing with people, as opposed to in the house. Every, you know, everybody knows that. His handlers knew it. That's why he did the cross-country, getting to know Justin, having cedar plank salmon with yeah. Justin people's backyards, dinner with Justin. You know, this is where he's he's really his he is is very strong. So there's there's quite there's logic for his people to sort of push him out there because that's what he does well. And certainly, this idea of the grassroots, getting you know, listening to people, is not a bad idea. Yeah. What was interesting is that, you know, it was the media yesterday, of course, that cared about all of those issues that you brought up in terms mm -hmm. of the, you know, the, the um, fundraising and, you know, hobnobbing with billionaires and, you know, taking private private air, aircraft. Um, but you didn't see that in the crowd. But what you did see was the beginning of a bit of disillusionment. Mm -hmm. You know, you could feel it. That people, there were a lot of liberals in the crowd. I, I spoke to a lot of people ahead of that. And even the liberals, you know, prefaced their questions with, I've been a liberal for 25 years. Um, you know, what do you do? I'm disappointed with the performance on electoral reform, that sort of thing. So I, I think that it is a calculated kind of bet, but I do for sure it's calculated bet. Mm. Um, but, I mean, are you asking if it's working? Yeah, I'm asking if you, and that's why I said it was kind of an unfair question, but I wonder if you think it works. Do you think he's so potent a force out on the on the hustings in this way that it will ultimately, that will eclipse whatever, you know, kind of uh, bad odor is, is left from things like fundraising and flying to a private island in the Caribbean? Well, I mean, we're ba we're basing this kind of on one day and yeah. and one and a half days. We've we've seen you know sort of a a, a a woman come forward to you know cry about her hydro bill and which was a you know a very wrenching kind of scene. Even though yeah. hydro isn't something that he can deal with, given that it's a provincial issue. But that said, I think I think this is going to be a test. I think that it's unfortunate in a way that the take well, it's not. I mean, I'm not the takeaway yesterday. Sort of the blanket had to do with the, the private aircraft and possible you know. Br uh, breaking of a of the you know conflict of interest, conflict of interest yeah. ruling, um, but. I sense that people will become more emboldened as Trudeau, as this goes on. They will see people coming forward more boldly to to express frustrations or whatever. And I think that we're going to see we're going to, it will take the pulse of the country in a way that I don't know that Trudeau and his um, team necessarily expected. So it's kind of early to say, but I don't know that this is going to be the great optic yes that they uh, they kind of bet on going in. Yeah. Hey, and could I throw a weird con sort of convoluted thought into this? Yeah. I think that's good for them. I think that if he was out there and what he was getting were softball questions and selfies, then people would shrug their shoulders and say, this is a pointless political exercise to try to distract us from serious stories. But if the more that Canadians put him, you know, uh, force him to get up on the balls of his feet and answer hard questions, the more he has to deal with emotional moments like the ones you've mentioned, the more it seems like a real thing. Whether it was expected to be that or not, it almost doesn't matter. It, it takes on meaning because the people arriving in those rooms are going to give it meaning.
Do you think? Yeah, and that's I, I absolutely think that's true. I mean, it's interesting watching Trudeau kind of under pressure. He gets a bit breathless, like mm-hmm. he, he kind of betrays himself. And I think that we're going to probably see more of that. And it will, it, yeah, it's something that I don't think they calculated on, but I do think that it's good because it, the whole, it makes true the optical premise of wow. the right? Yeah, because yeah, the, the optics of it was to listen to Canadians. But it's a way, now Canadians are being heard. And I think that they expected it would be an opportunity for great imagery of Trudeau, you know, in, post, they've forgotten that things have changed. I mean, we're only a year in, right? Yeah. But the imagery of Trudeau in the election was all this very upbeat, you know, people just loved it. And we're, we, still, we still saw that yesterday. You know, he got standing ovations, mm. people cheered every time his dad's name was mentioned, etc. But there was people, even people who voted for him are kind of scratching their head and trying to figure out kind of the cognitive dissonance. So maybe this won't be his listening tour, this will be a Canadian cognitive dissonance tour But for, it's a great, but that, to him. me, again, I think this is so, so much more interesting that if it seemed more, and and more uh, predictable, I guess. The, the, the more unpredictable moments there are, the more moments like the ones you've highlighted so well, the more I think it plays to its true strength in the sense that he's he's going to look like a guy who's out there and open and exposed and vulnerable. And that's a better place to be when you're having to defend yourself on ethics and other related questions than, than to seem like a controlled, closed-off guy, right? It does, yeah. yeah. And it, it, yes, it doesn't seem um, that it's... We'll see as, as we go ahead, but it certainly doesn't seem the whole scripted notion of it. I mean, certainly his response base is scripted, as I yeah, pointed out yeah. in the piece, but but this is unpredictable. He is being, you know, thrown into these um, complicated equations, and it's almost like a chemistry experiment. So cool. And we'll see, you know, how this, and also it's a, it really is a way for people who don't have a voice, um, generally, um, to, 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 to speak with the Prime Minister, and that's kind of a good thing, and I, I think that maybe as time passes, people won't be as cowed or as overwhelmed, um, and will be able to ask direct questions. I hope that happens mm-hmm. because I think there was so much. Thank you for being our prime minister and kind of right. a bit of rambling that that it allowed him to evade an answer. I would like it. You know, I would like to see him answering questions directly. We'll see if that actually does happen. That was McLean senior writer Anne Kingston speaking with Ottawa Bureau Chief John Geddes about the Prime Minister's cross-country tour and some of the ethical controversies that have been dogging him. To read Anne's work, head to mcleans.ca. Still to come on the show, we break down Justin Trudeau's unexpected cabinet shuffle. We hear from an expert who says Canadian politicians and government staff are targets of international blackmail. And we speak with one of the people helping Kevin O'Leary as he considers a conservative leadership bid. Welcome back to McLean's on the Hill. I'm Cormac McSweeney, Parliament Hill Bureau Chief for City News and Rogers Radio. Coming up on the show, we speak with a former government security analyst who says Canadian politicians and staff can be and have been targets of international blackmail. And later, we speak with former Senator Marjorie LeBreton, a key supporter of Kevin O'Leary, as the businessman strongly suggests he's about to jump into the conservative leadership race. But first... 
On Tuesday, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau unexpectedly held a cabinet shuffle with a couple of big moves. We had heard about it originally on Monday, and then when everybody went to Rideau Hall, we saw that Foreign Affairs Minister Stéphane Dion had been dropped from the cabinet table by the PM, and he later said he's now leaving active politics. This is by far the biggest move, because Christia Freeland, who once held the trade file, is taking over foreign affairs. And I'm joined now by McLean's Ottawa Bureau Chief, John Geddes. John, thanks very much for being here. Oh, it's great, Chronicle. Okay, so why did Trudeau choose Freeland to take over the foreign affairs file? I guess the most immediate reason, the thing that's most obvious, is that she had a huge victory in late uh, 2016 when she finalized the Canada-European Union trade deal, the, the CETA. She, you know, many listeners may remember that she had a sort of spectacular moment there, or at least a dramatic moment, where she walked out of last-minute talks sort of saying, hey, if they can't do a deal with this, I'm going home. Uh, at that, that time, she looked pretty vulnerable. It wasn't clear if that was a good move or a bad move. Well, it turned out to be a good move. Winning is everything. The EU came back to the table. She got the deal. So she looks like a, a, a sophisticated, hardball customer who's delivered on policy. But there's more to this story than that. Freeland was a star recruit for the Trudeau team back in back when they were you know getting set for what became the 2015 election. She's got a, an interesting background, and it, it's a background that kind of puts her in a in a, an elite status. Harvard and Oxford educations, uh, senior roles in journalism with publications like the Financial Times out of London, the Globe and Mail, Thomson Reuters. Uh, Two big books under her belt, one about Russia and one about one called Plutocrats, which is about sort of the super rich in the world. So this is someone who's tapped in, is known in Washington and London and New York, and for that matter, Kiev and Moscow as well. Really, really an interesting high-flying kind of player in the government. All right. Now, the really interesting aspect to all of this is even though she's out as trade minister mm. and now foreign affairs <clears throat> minister, she's going to be keeping that key U.S. trade file or North American trade file, as Donald Trump says, yeah. he might want to back out of NAFTA. So essentially, she's become the point person on Donald Trump for Trudeau. On Trump and on Canada-U.S. relations. And let's think a little bit about that. Obviously, a smart, accomplished person, Christopher Freeland, but... She's closely identified with people in the Democratic establishment in Washington. She was mentored to some degree by Larry Summers, who was a senior official in both the Clinton and Obama White Houses. In fact, if you go to the Liberal Party's website, you can find a 2014 video of Chrystia Freeland interviewing Summers on stage at a Liberal policy convention. So she's, that's the sort of person she's connected with. The Trump people are going to know this. This is a, a, a woman who is... Uh, a sort of charter member of a certain part of the uh, sort of North American uh, media political establishment. And she's in the Democratic wing of that establishment. There's no doubt about that. Larry Summers is is closely identified with the kind of people the Trump people really, really dislike. So Trudeau's making a calculated gamble here, I would say. he's He's thinking that it will mean more in Washington that she is a known quantity, a serious player, then that, that'll count more on the positive side than the negative potential, which is that Trump people might look at her with suspicion because she's she's part of the other side of the political kind of equation in the U.S. Uh, do you think that uh, her experience dealing with the Canada-EU trade deal and mm. the way she, she handled that 
uh, possibly puts her in a good position yeah, in dealing with the Trump administration here? Well, it's, it certainly suggests a style, right? Uh, she, she comes in it, in it with a lot of uh, intellectual firepower and a certain kind of steel in her spine, I would say. The, the way she handled the EU thing showed that she's not going to be a pushover, that's for sure. You know, Cormac, if, if you go back to when she was being introduced to Canadian politics, I first ever interviewed her in 2014, before the 2015 election, obviously, in Montreal. And what I found notable about that conversation at the time, and I've never changed my point of view on this since, is that she seemed much more passionate about European affairs, particularly Eastern European affairs. She's a, her, her mother's family is Ukrainian-Canadian. She speaks Ukrainian. She, at that time at least, had an apartment in, in Kiev that she shared with her sister. They, they owned a place there. Um, she was way more passionate, and I would argue more insightful and more informed on European foreign policy issues than she was on the sorts of economic issues that she was sort of officially brought into liberal politics to be an expert on. She was thought to be an expert on things like income inequality, and there's no doubt she knows a lot about that. But to my ear, she sounded more engaged, more intense on other kinds of issues. And what to me is interesting about this new role she has is, as foreign minister, that's a field in which she can play. All right. And um, so still some challenges ahead for Absolutely. her definitely on this file. Uh, and then very quickly here, John, uh, McLean's has tried to uh, basically profile some of the yeah. uh, new faces around the cabinet table because there were a few people who got bumped up. What can people expect so, when they head to mclean's.ca? So, so interesting. My colleague Shannon Proudfoot has a, a really good short profile of Karina Gould, the 29-year-old who takes over as Democratic Institutions Minister, a fascinating new face. We've got uh, a conversation from before Christmas with uh, Francois-Philippe Champagne, who's the new trade minister, a, definitely a rising star. And everyone, I think, in town is now looking forward to learning more about um, Ahmed Hassan, who's the young guy who's taken over as immigration minister, a former Somali refugee to Canada who's now risen to high office. Just one of those fascinating personal stories. John McCallum, the former immigration minister, now becoming the ambassador uh, to China. Thank you very much, uh, John Geddes, McLean's Ottawa Bureau Chief. If you want to check out some of those profiles, head to mcleans.ca. Still to come, we discuss the possibility of international blackmail against Canadian politicians and government staff. And former Conservative Senator Marjorie LeBreton joins us to explain why she's working with popular businessman and TV personality Kevin O'Leary as he mulls over a campaign for the Conservative leadership. Welcome back to McLean's on the Hill. I'm Cormac McSweeney, Parliament Hill Bureau Chief for City News and Rogers Radio. Still to come on the show, we hear from former Conservative Senator Marjorie LeBreton about why she's backing Kevin O'Leary as he mauls a Conservative leadership campaign. But first, there's a new twist on the allegations of Russian interference in U.S. politics. Unverified intelligence reports surfaced this week claiming that Russian officials have some very compromising personal and financial information on U.S. President-elect Donald Trump. Those officials could use that info to blackmail him. Some of these allegations are sexual in nature and surround some of Trump's visits to Moscow. Now Trump, in his own way, says the claims are not true. I think it was uh, disgraceful, disgraceful, that the intelligence agencies allowed any information that turned out to be so false and fake out. I think it's a disgrace. And that's something that Nazi Germany would have done and did do. I think it's a disgrace. 
I'm also very much of a germaphobe, by the way. <laughs> Believe me. The Kremlin is also denying it. But this unusual story brings up a concerning question. Could Canadian politicians or their staff be targeted for international blackmail? To talk more about this, I'm joined now by Stephanie Carvin, a professor at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University and a former security analyst for the government. So, Stephanie, can this happen to Canadian politicians? Uh, it, it not only can happen in Canada, it does happen in Canada. That foreign governments who feel that individuals, whether they're MPs or even certain leaders in business, who may have information that they think will be useful, can and will be targeted. So how are they targeted? So one of the things that these countries would look for is any kind of material that would allow them to blackmail you. So it, it, it really depends what it is. It's something that you don't want known or creating a situation that would make you look bad and then trying to exploit that in order to get something from you, whether it's access or whether it's uh, some kind of information that will benefit them. So if, you know, it's either setting up look, uh, an affair or setting up a situation where it looks like Perhaps you've been in a situation with drugs or, you know, it really is context uh, dependent. But what they want to do, the key thing is, is they want to create a situation where they feel that they can blackmail you as a result of it and then exploit that information uh, to their own end. This sounds like it's something out of uh, a James Bond movie or some sort of spy movie. But you're saying this happens to politicians right now. Well, yes. I mean, they, we, the services, uh, the national security agencies of Canada work to help protect uh, politicians and, and Canadians from these kinds of advances. But we do know that they happen, not just in Canada, the United States, all around the world. And just to give you an example, the writer of The Americans, is, the, the very popular TV show, is a former CIA agent who is, you know, and it's not far off reality. You know, they do try to create these situations they, to, to blackmail individuals. It does happen now. And it's something that, uh, again, national security agencies are constantly having to brief uh, Canadians traveling abroad uh, or individuals at risk to help protect them and protect Canada's secrets. If MPs and government workers are being, being briefed on how to deal with these situations, what are they taught when they're traveling abroad to countries that may want to try and take advantage of them? So one of the things that they're going to teach them is try to avoid any kind of situation where they could it, it could look uh, very bad for them or it could be a blackmail situation. One would be if you know, you're a, a man traveling alone. There could be suddenly a very beautiful woman who shows a lot of actri uh, active interest in you. What to do if someone shows up to your apartment late at night or your hotel room late at night and, and how to respond to that in such a way that, it, you know, you're not put in a situation where photographs can be taken that look pretty bad. And then as well, they're often also taught good hygiene practices with regards to their telecommunications to avoid them from being either taken, confiscated, um, to avoid getting some kind of malware on them while they're abroad that would then allow the security services of these kind of more hostile countries to, to get information just based off of their electronics. Uh, you're saying one tactic you use sometimes is the classic honeypot situation? Absolutely. The honeypot is a classic and individuals are still briefed against it uh, even today. And it's really a situation where, again, a single man 
travel, and it's almost usually always a man, uh, a single man traveling alone is, you know, in his hotel room and suddenly a, a woman appears, a beautiful woman, and she may make advances towards him. And even if he rejects them, it can be a situation where she suddenly makes allegations of assault or that he was trying to uh, hurt her in some way. And he's then put in a position where he's compromised because, you know, she can claim that, um, you know, and, and this is, doesn't have to do uh, with with real assault, but the the fact is that this situ- person is now in a situation where it looks like either either he was having an affair or that he was going to abuse a woman in some way, and then that can be used against him it, either to exploit information in the future or to grant access to, to some kind of information that the hostile service wants. In recent memory, have you heard of this happening to Canadian politicians and government workers? No, I mean, uh, if I had, I, I probably wouldn't disclose given my, my former work. But what we can say is we have heard of a number of cases of Canadians who have gone abroad, who have suddenly found themselves in situations where they are, are presented with photos or presented with some kind of uh, threat to expose them in some kind of way that would look bad. And a lot of times they, you know, they have to come forward to the security services who then have to kind of deal with the fallout of these uh, situations. We have, um, there have been a lot of cases in Russia, I mean, just to give an, a, a more recent example, where journalists or former politicians, if the government wants to get rid of them, will suddenly start leaking videos of their behavior in hotel rooms or uh, start putting salacious, uh, salacious stories about them in the newspapers. And uh, there's no reason to believe that couldn't happen here as well with regards to at least the leaking of information that could make individuals look bad. Certainly that is something that I believe the CIA is concerned with with regards to Trump. Do we typically see the person leading a country being targeted? Well, I can tell you that any senior member of uh, Trudeau's team leaving the country, particularly on government business, would be getting a proper security briefing, uh, not only about you know the various kind of basic threats, but also country-specific. Like what do we actually know occurs in these countries that could involve a situation where that person would be targeted? And increasingly, uh, these kinds of briefings are actually also offered to lower levels. Of, of staff, you know, these foreign intelligence agencies, they know, you know the, the upper levels, they, they get briefings, they, they have high levels of security around them. But often you can get really important information from lower level uh, employees of the government. So people who work on human resources files, people who work um, in, in such ways like to, to provide security clearances. So kind of more lower level individuals that can be targeted that will also help provide access to these uh, governments in such a way that could be detrimental to Canadian interests. So unlikely to uh, sort of happen to a leader in this way. I think, you know, when you when you target those kind of high level, it, it, it's very difficult. But this is one of the issues that we have to think about that, you know, it's not it, it, it would seem that Justin Trudeau would be the logical person to target or perhaps some of the immediate uh, prime minister office staff. But really, it's also a lot of the low-level, medium-level staff who, the people who are in charge of access, the people who are in charge of record-keeping, these also, these are individuals who also have very valuable information, insight, and access into the kinds of organizations that can be exploited to then get larger or more valuable 
uh, information that can be exploited as well. So, you know, I, I would encourage you not just to think about, you know, the leadership around Trudeau, but also it's kind of some of the lower level people around him as well that could be targeted by, you know, a, a country like Russia or China in order to get information. Scary stuff. Scary stuff Indeed. to think about what, what goes on in the international stage. Stephanie Carvin, thank you very, very much for your thoughts on all of this. Thanks for having me on. That was Stephanie Carvin, a professor of international affairs at Carleton University and a former security analyst with the government, speaking about the possibility of Canadian politicians being the target of international blackmail. Coming up after the break, businessman and television personality Kevin O'Leary seems poised to soon jump in the race for the conservative leadership we speak with a longtime Tory who's backing the former dragon. Welcome back to McLean's on the Hill. I'm Cormac McSweeney, Parliament Hill Bureau Chief for City News and Rogers Radio. There are likely no more doubts in the minds of political observers that businessman and TV personality Kevin O'Leary will jump into the federal conservative leadership race. Now, he hasn't announced his decision, but O'Leary has released a video to his supporters on his Facebook page speaking about a report he received from a committee that he set up to explore his chances in the leadership race. Basically, they're telling me multiple things here. Number one, I have a clear path to success. Number two, I'm the only candidate that can take on Trudeau and help him find his ultimate destiny because it's not running Canada. That's for sure. I've got to go to Ottawa, bring in a strong team, and actually turn this whole country around for you. If you're a Canadian, you should really care about this. If you're a young Canadian, you should care even more. Now, the situation is I've got to win the leadership first. And this report gives me a lot of encouragement, particularly some of the emails you wrote me. I think there's a lot of good candidates in the race. My plan is to take their best ideas to Ottawa. Now. It's a two-pronged process. We won't know to the 27th of May, but I'm going to be asking you for support. Obviously, I'm going to consider this over the next couple of days, make my decision shortly, and then start this journey with you. So O'Leary's dropping some pretty strong hints that his campaign could be launched soon. And one of the people pushing him to join the already crowded race is former conservative Senator Marjorie LeBreton. Ella Breton has worked for every conservative leader going back to John Diefenbaker, and she happens to be on O'Leary's exploratory committee. Well, McLean's Ottawa Bureau Chief John Geddes caught up with her by phone and started out by asking simply why she's decided to back O'Leary. Well, um, I, I've sat and listened and watched uh, as this leadership race of ours unfolded. And, uh, and, you know, um, wasn't terribly um, um, excited by um, the field so far, although I have many, uh, there are many people uh, in, in, the, uh, in the race that I consider friends, and so therefore it was sort of, it's sort of a difficult decision for me to make, ultimately, because I really do um, have, and I do, really do have a very good personal relationship with many of them. And um, and but I just I just felt um, I just felt that there was not like no one was really addressing um, the future. No one was really worrying about the economy. Uh, we were all hung up on 
You know, Max Bernier's uh, libertarian views, and like, actually there's a lot of things that Max Bernier says that I agree with. Mm. Um, and then we got all uh, caught up with, uh, with uh, Kelly Leach's policies, which, by the way, she has every right to put on the table and, and, um, and uh, defend and debate. And, um, and, of course, but, she, you know, she's picked policy areas that are very hard to... Uh, uh, communicate and can be very uh, they could be misrepresented and misunderstood and that's clearly what's happened and um, and of course I I really like I like Aaron O'Toole I don't think you know he he literally as the Minister of Veterans Affairs got in there and clean up an awful mess mm. and and probably because you know it was at the end of our government didn't get the credit he deserved but he, so I like him I like Chris Alexander I like Lisa Raitt um, there's certain things that Michael Cole, uh, Michael um, Chong talks about that I agree with, but is that, but there were only little snippets on each one, mm. and um, and I didn't I, I just I, I felt first of all they weren't really broadening out why they thought they should be the leader of our party, and secondly none of them were talking about what I fear is a real big mess coming down the road on the economy. Mm. And, and as I've explained to some people, I lived through the economic horror story of Trudeau number one, and, <clears throat> and I'm um, fearing that we are into the second version under Trudeau number two. But Marjorie, could I ask uh, on on this uh, on you in particular? I mean, I'm thinking about there are other people on uh, who are on the exploratory committee who have said to me that they like the looks of Kevin O'Leary as a candidate. Who I I'm not that surprised in the sense that they're not as steeped in Ottawa as you are. Mm -hmm. You're you're really a person who has has been on the hill for a long time. You've yeah. obviously got a respect for the traditions and the experiences that people have in Canadian politics, and you're you're throwing your lot in with a guy who has brings none of that to the table. So can, can you talk as, well, as an Ottawa insider? I don't. I don't. Uh, I think you know. I think we sell him short when we say he brings none of that to the table. Well, he brings something to the table, but surely you can't say he brings sort of federal government experience to the table. He, no. No, obviously no. doesn't, you know. But uh, but having you know, but what uh, so so what I'm looking for is I'm looking for someone who is going to um, is going to kind of address the issues that are really facing the country, and I think we do have serious economic issues. I think he's right on when he talks about um, the millennials and how certain promises were made to them that have not you know have not been kept, and there's no evidence they are going to ever be kept mm. i i think i i um you know i had you know i've worked for them all going back to deep and baker and uh, and and i'm a big big fan of stephen harper i actually uh felt and i think i probably said this to you at some point you know that i always felt that his kind of um serious level-headed um, you know, kind of approach to things uh, was something that should have been uh, should have been celebrated. Unfortunately, it ended up uh, people people really misrepresented what Stephen Harper was all about. But so that so that was in the back of my mind as well. Mm. But um, so when Kevin Leary, so when I was approached to, to see if I would uh, serve on the exploratory committee. I said I would because I was interested, but I told I told Mike Coates that I wanted to uh, 
talked to Kevin O'Leary personally. And when I met him, uh, you know, I had there were certain things that I wanted to um, establish. Um, first of all, you know, I invoked the uh, Ronald Reagan's Eleventh um, Commandment: "Thou shalt not speak ill of other conservatives." Hmm. I really believe that because at the end of the day, this is a contest in the party, and um, at, and um, whoever wins is going, you know, we, is going to have to take on what I consider our real political enemies, and that's Trudeau and the Liberals. And I spoke to him about the importance of um, bi- being bilingual. He uh, he he explained to me that um, he was born and raised in Quebec and spoke French until he was seven years old. So I said, well, then you should have no trouble with a good French teacher to um, relearn the language. I I spoke about the need to stick to issues that really matter to Canadians, like the economy, uh, security, law and order issues, although I... um, I did say to him, quite frankly, that I thought um, we were very good as a government on law and order issues, but um, uh, we we were we, we we were we really kind of oversold them. Hmm. Um, we were basically we we wanted people to believe all hell had broken loose when people actually didn't believe that, hmm. you know. Hmm. So I told him that, and uh, so we talked a lot about um, and and of course I. I um, wanted to make sure that um, that um, a moderate, moderate conservative uh, viewpoint would be at the core of uh, anything our party or our government, our future government did. Mm-hmm. So, and of course, we talked a lot about the economy because I, you know, I've always been. I think people always they tend to think of me in kind of whatever era I was working in. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've always, always been a very strong fiscal conservative. Mm. And uh, so, what it does, if if uh, if he uh, decides to um, get into this race, and I'm pretty confident he will personally, um, it, what what it'll do is it will serve the party and therefore the country um, very well because we will have a good debate about issues that matter to um, Canadians. And uh, and it's, and I've always, I mean, we are always successful when we not only, we, we not only um, appeal to our own uh, rank and file, but also that we can broaden, broaden out our appeal to win votes of people who um, don't necessarily support any political party. What do you think about the notion of him as, I've heard people use the term disruptor, that because he comes from outside any kind of recognizable background in politics because his his profile was established on uh, on uh, TV shows like Dragon's yeah. Den and Shark Tank that he's he's a different kind of character and there are these inevitable comparisons with at least the media presence of Donald Trump if not the yeah. the style or the policy how how do you process Well actually that? I I satisfied myself in my almost hour long meeting with him that he's no Donald Trump right and actually it cuts both ways because you know I know I know there'll be some conservatives and some uh, Canadians who feel you know that there's 
sensitivities may be a little offended um, by people like Kevin O'Leary. But on the other hand, uh, and all of the people I've talked to, and I've talked to many um, people, not not only in the party but not outside the party, they actually like that. They they actually think you know we're into a different era. They don't mind a person that has a bit of an edge to them. Hmm. But I don't think you'll ever see Kevin O'Leary personally insulting people or um, you know saying things that are very unkind to certain groups of people. I just don't believe I don't believe that you'll ever hear that. That was former Conservative Senator Marjorie LeBreton speaking with McLean's Ottawa Bureau Chief John Geddes about why she's helping TV personality and businessman Kevin O'Leary as he considers a campaign to run for the Conservative leadership. Now in more Conservative leadership news, McLean's writers Martin Patrickwin and Charlie Gillis have written a fascinating article about Nick Kuvalis, the campaign manager for candidate Kelly Leach. It's a very interesting read and has created enough of a buzz that pollster and political analyst Bruce Anderson actually wrote a sort of rebuttal to the piece. The profile is in the latest issue of McLean's magazine, but you can also find the two stories as well as a follow-up on Kuvalis' fake news strategy on McLean's.ca. Well, that's it for this week's episode. For more of your politics and power, join us next week on The Hill.